All right, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for bringing us here. And now, as we share your words and your thoughts and your truths, your commands and your promises, I pray that you uh, help us take them out the door with us and to be a part of your kingdom, uh, to do your will in this world and in your kingdom. Thank you again for equipping us. Thank you for making us your people. In Jesus' name. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And good morning once again. Welcome to the fifth Sunday of Epiphany. Um, and if you've been keeping up with us through this season of Epiphany, you know that we've been using this time to grow closer to God, to use God's words to grow closer to him and grow closer in our relationship with him. And of course, that's why we celebrate different seasons in the church year, the church calendar, to do that, to grow closer to God, to know him more, to trust him more, to put more faith in him. And now, uh, for the past several weeks, we've been in a series that we've titled The Will of God. All right, thank you, Jared. Thank you. Put that on a crawl for me, will you? The Will of God. We've been bouncing back and forth a little bit in God's words and what he tells us about his will and using the Bible to tell us what God's will is and sometimes what God's will isn't to help us define what that is. For example, uh, what God's will isn't tells us what it is. Second Peter, it says, The Lord is not slow about his promises. Some count slowness but is patient toward you, not willing, right, for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's, uh, it's not God's will for anyone to perish. And like I said a couple of weeks ago, if we are outside of salvation, then we are outside of God's will, right? That's what it talks about. And so God's will is quite the opposite if we look at 1 Timothy. Um, it's God who wills everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, right? So I've told you past, a couple times over the past uh, couple of weeks, there are several, um, I would say, misconceptions uh, to put it nicely, um, unrealistic thoughts and ideas and downright um, poor teaching on the subject of the will of God. I think that we have, we'll have maybe uh, a little bit of uh, misunderstanding. We talked about it on our, our Tuesday morning Bible study and said sometimes um, in order to learn something, we have to unlearn what we first thought about it so that we can get a fresh look at it. Um, so one of the ideas, that, that's one of the ideas that, that we can't know God's will is something that's never sat well with me. Um, I'm sure that that idea came from someplace, I'm not sure exactly where, but um, like many ideas, people sort of just kind of piled onto that new way of thinking and that new way of, of talking and kind of um, almost as a get-out-of-jail-free card so we don't have to worry about the will of God if we can't understand it, we can't know it. But I, again, I don't understand where that came from because by my count, in, now truth be told, I've only been working on this for a couple of, or maybe a month, six weeks, something like that, uh, it's not a lifetime study. The will of God isn't a lifetime study for me, and it's not, I'm not writing a dissertation on it or anything. But uh, my crude analysis of the will of God is referenced or mentioned over 70 times in the New Testament. Um, we have Jesus recorded uh, his words talking about it uh, at least 20 times, talking about the will of God. Um, the Apostle Paul mentions it at least 30 times. Peter, a good seven times. Um, John, a couple of times, or four maybe. Um, there's a few more in the Old Testament that I'm going to talk about, and um, it's interesting when we look, about, look in the Bible and talk about when the will of God is first mentioned. Um, well, actually, let me, go, let me talk about what God's first will is mentioned, sorry about that, and in the book of Revelation, the first, time, uh, uh, the first occurrence of God's will. Let me show you the verse, and then you'll understand what I'm talking about. So Re Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, right, because of your will they existed, 
and were created. And I don't know about you, but I find it rather comforting to know that, um, that the universe and our very own existence is the result of God exercising his will, right? That's God exercising his will, putting us into existence. The earth and all that's in it was created uh, perfectly and purposefully by God. Now, if you're anything like me, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but if you're anything like me and you get a little bit curious while you're reading the Bible and understanding it a little bit better, um, maybe you're wondering, like I mentioned it a second ago, about the first occurrence, the first mention of the will of God in the Bible. Um, that comes right away in the book of Exodus. That's the second book of the Bible. This is Moses talking with his father-in-law. Um, Jethro is his father-in-law's name. And Moses is overworked. And Jethro is like, man, you need some help. Why are you doing these things? And Moses said, I'm, I'm helping these people. I'm letting them come to me with their questions and their problems and to, to give them answers. Moses answered Jethro. He said, I'm doing this because the people come to me to seek God's will. Right? People come to me to seek God's will. So if we see something we're supposed to seek and something we're supposed to understand, it's attainable for us. It's something that we can do. So again, I'm coming back to that question about the questionable teaching that we can't possibly know the will of God. And yet, the first mention of the will of God is about God's people wanting to know what it is. I think that's a little ironic. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Here we are, what, 3,500 years later, and we're still trying to figure this out. We're still trying to pursue it. So even today as we speak, people are, are seeking, again, seeking God's will, not only for our lives, but to see what his will is for his kingdom. Now, full disclosure here, this passage in Exodus is one of only a couple of times that the will of God is mentioned in the Old Testament. So if one were to make an argument to, that the Old Testament times that God's will was maybe a mystery, I can kind of give you that, but full disclosure and full understanding of what's going on in the New Testament, we can understand God's will in the Old Testament as well. And we have no excuse, because like I said, if it shows up in the, in the New Testament 70 times, we shouldn't miss it, and we shouldn't say that we can miss it. So I've already highlighted a few times when um, the Apostle Paul mentions it and points out that um, not only can we know it, but it's our responsibility to know God's will. Not only can we know it, but it's our responsibility to know it. It's our responsibility to know it so that we're capable, Paul says, of testing and proving or approving of it. And, um, the question is, how do we do that? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. How can we get around God's will? How can we understand it a little better? But again, we look at kind of what not to do and what we should be doing in our lives. If we look at Romans 12, 2, which is a big verse for understanding this whole concept here. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Um, literally, the Greek would be better translated as saying, stop conforming yourself to this world. Stop conforming to yourself to this world. If you want to understand what the, God, or the will of God is and to live into it, stop conforming yourself to this world. But rather, be transformed. And again, it would be better by, to say, allow yourself to be transformed because God is the one that does the transforming. How does he transform us? What does he do? Changes the way we think. He renews our mind. Then, so those are, those are commands, right? If we were in youth group, we'd be saying, where's the commands in these verses? And we see them right there. Stop conforming. You allow yourself to be transformed. Those are commands that God gives us. And then behind God's commands are his promises, right? Usually followed by his promises. And his promise here is that you will be able to test and approve, right? Test and approve what God's will is, right? That word approve, um, some translations, maybe your translation says discern. You'll be able to discern what God's will is. Authenticate might be a, a good translation, a good word for that. It might be better. Um, it's authenticate, like when a... When a an expert looks at a painting by a master or something, 
and because of how it looks and what, what's going on in it, they can say, yes, this is a Picasso or this is something else. I was watching a movie one time about this guy who was um, faking um, movies. He was doing um, these, uh, um, these fake paintings. He would, he would paint something by a different artist or a different um, um, master, and then they would sell it off as, as a copy of something. Anyway, he was trying to uh, reproduce or produce a Rembrandt. Right? And so he was, he was good at what he did. He, he had all the right paint and all the right pigments and things going on. So if you analyze the paint, it'd be tough to tell that it was a fake. And if you analyze the, the canvas, it'd be tough to tell that it was a fake. He really did a good job with it. And he convinced just about everybody that this was a Rembrandt, something that was in the books from some place that had disappeared. And they said they found it in the basement of this farmhouse. Okay, so there it is. So everybody's convinced that it's a Rembrandt. Until this lady comes in. And she looks at it, and she immediately says, that's not a Rembrandt. And everybody is like, well, first of all, you didn't do anything to analyze it. You can't understand what, what's going on here. And she said, you know, um, it's a fake, she said, because uh, I don't get the same feeling when I look at this as when I look at a Rembrandt. I don't get the same feeling. And that's kind of where we should be with the will of God. We have that understanding when we're inside the will of God and when we're outside the will of God, whether or not we put a textbook answer on it or put a textbook um, theological idea on it or definition on it. Sometimes it just feels like we're supposed to be there, and sometimes it feels like we're not supposed to be there. That's where Paul says that's the level we should know, and that's the level that we're responsible to know God's will and to live into God's will. That level of, of familiarity with God's will, which, by the way, is what? Good and pleasing and perfect. Paul says we should be experts. We should be experts on the matter. To understand, as I said before, to know what it is and what it isn't. And to put that point on a little bit harder, Paul lays this in the laps of the new believers in Colossae. These are new believers, and he says this about them. He says, um, for this reason, Colossians uh, 1.9, for this reason, um, and the for this reason means, uh, is talking about their faith. He said, I've heard about how strong your faith is, and I've heard about all the, all the things that you're doing. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And look at what he's praying. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. To continue to fill God, I'm sorry, continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. For this reason, you have this strong faith, Paul says. So we're asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Does that sound like something that's outside of our grasp or outside of our responsibility or outside of something of our ability? Paul says, I'm praying that God will fill you with the knowledge of his will. He uses some special words here, Paul does, when he's talking about this. I want to just go over a couple of them really quick. Um, the word knowledge, um, epignosis. The word knowledge means um, to um, have precise and accurate, something to be thoroughly acquainted with something. So not just to get a good idea of what God's will is, no, to become thoroughly acquainted with it, right? To become to precise, accurate, to be able to walk in the room and take a look at it and say no, or to walk in the room and say yes, right? That's a, that's a level that he wants us on. Wisdom. Wisdom is the Greek word, one of my favorites, it's Sophia, right? But it means broad, full of intelligence, and it means in diverse matters. So we can understand that the will of God is a diverse matter, Right? We can understand that it's a diverse matter, but it's something that we can get a hold of and we can grasp. And then he says understanding, and this is a huge one. This is uh, sunesis, um, the, the word where we get synthesis from, uh, means uh, flowing together. 
bringing together, right? He wants us to have a flowing together and an understanding, a perfect knowledge of understanding, be thoroughly acquainted with, so it becomes part of who we are and part of what we're doing and part of how we operate. Again, that's his instructions. That's his prayer for new believers, these new believers saying, you've got to be a part of the will of God or you're going to be outside of it. So maybe before we move on, we've got to take a peek at that part about the Spirit, Right? The wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. The Spirit knows our weaknesses, right? The Holy Spirit knows our weaknesses, and he also knows the will of God. And I'm not making that up. That's straight out of Romans 8. We got that, Jared 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, right? We do not know what we ought to pray for. Some of my favorite verses right here, some of my favorite words here. Sometimes you don't know what you're going to pray for or what you need to pray for, especially when we're praying for somebody else, right? God says, that's okay, I'm going to tell you straight up, you don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And then look at 27. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with what? With the will of God. The Spirit intercedes for God's people according to the will of God, according to what God wants for us. Helps us to pray the right things, even though we're not saying the right things. Sometimes we just got to give it up and say, you know what, Lord, I'm not even sure what to pray about right now. Ever been at the end of your rope and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done here and I'm kind of out. I need you to do this for me. And the Spirit says, I got you. The Spirit says, I know your weakness and I know the will of God and I'm going to put those together and I'm going to pray those things together for God, for you. God searches our heart. He knows the mind of the Holy Spirit. Talk more about that later on. But the important thing is the Holy Spirit's prayers are always according to God's will. Thus, they are always for our good. Plans for you to succeed, plans for you to prosper, to thrive, not for destruction. But what else do we know for certain about God's will? So that we're not shooting from the hip. We're not coming up with clever answers. We're not coming up with clever responses. What does the Bible actually tell us about it? Before we get to that, I just want to give you the kind of the credibility statement for today's idea about God's will. And that comes from James 1.22. It says, but prove yourselves doers of the word. Not just hearers who deceive themselves. That word deceive is complex, and to be completely honest, I haven't run it all the way down yet. I still got a little bit of uh, work to do on it. But when we see it used, it's something that's turning you away from salvation. It's something that's turning you away from salvation. Right? So if we're not doers of the word, we're deceiving ourselves. We're literally turning ourselves away from salvation. Right? Something that we're doing to ourselves. On the other hand, um, doers means to, to obey, right? Doers are the word to obey, or better yet, to fulfill. Doers means to fulfill something. It's not just enough to be, as Paul says, um, full of the knowledge of God's will. We have to be doers of it as well. So I told you out front um, before that Jesus mentioned the will of God at least 20 times. He said things like this, and John, he said, my food is to do the work of him who sent me. And also in John, he said, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus came to be our example. 
Jesus came to be our example on how to live a godly life. An example of how to live a godly life. We know Jesus was on, Jesus was on a mission to do God's will, and he expects the same thing from you. right? To be on a mission to fulfill God's will. And then Jesus said that, right? I read that to you a minute ago from Mark 3.35. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So then the question should be, what does that mean to do God's will? What does it mean to do that? How do we be doers of that? If you've been keeping up with this series and taking some notes, you know that, um, that we can know God's will, both specifically and generally. Specifically and generally speaking. Because we get verses like this that are just crazy when we read them and start to understand them a little bit better and start, um, start living into it. Like, look at this from Acts. Look at what Paul says in Acts. He says, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the what? The whole will of God. I mean, that should just make us stop and think for a second. Should we maybe take a better minute or some time or maybe a sermon series to understand that a little bit better? Paul says we got the whole thing. And Paul was the one, by the way, that said you're responsible for it. To do it. To know it. To understand it. To be that intimate with it. right? To be on that level with it. To be able to recognize it for what it is and for what it isn't. The whole will of God. So so much for thinking God's will is something out of our grasp or something away from our understanding. So then the question that I kept coming up with is what does God give us to grasp? What does God give us to understand? And it's a lot, it's a lot like some other topics of the Bible, some other ideas in the Bible. Um, so I started to compare it to some other, some other things. So I started to ask some questions about why we feel like we're outside the will of God or why we feel like it's something that's, that we can't um, obtain or attain. Um, could it actually be that it's one of those things that seems too easy right, for us as followers of Christ? Is, is, could it be that it seems too easy? Could it be that uh, we want things to be more complicated? Or could it actually be that our will doesn't align with God's will? Could it be that we just come up with some clever thoughts and some clever ideas when we try to define what the will of God is? And as God would say, you don't think like I do, right? See also Lawn Chair Larry, right? It all comes down to God's commands and promises. All comes down to God's commands and promises. So how does that relate to you in doing the will of God? And as I've said many times, wouldn't it be cool if there was a verse that said something like, oh, I don't know, for this is the will of God? Wouldn't it be cool if we had some kind of, you know, obvious moment like that? Oh, wait, there is one. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Literally becoming the people that God created us to be. And don't I try to pray that every week, Right? Use these words to change us to the people you created us to be. That's his will. That's what sanctification is, growing in our relationship with God, growing closer to him, just getting better at what we're doing. That's sanctification. That's God's will for you. So what's God's will for us? To get better at our relationship with him, to become more like he wants us to be. 
But wouldn't it be cool if there was more verses like that? Oh, there's another one here, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Look at this one. Sometimes, like I said, it's just, maybe it's too simple for us, and we just gloss over it and go past it. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is what? In Christ Jesus. For you. Sometimes it just seems too simple. There's a bunch of these. How about 1 Peter? Because those were Paul. Here's Peter. We've talked about Jesus. For this is the will of God. Ah, isn't that a great sentence to start with? For this is the will of God. Okay, you got my attention. By, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. How do we do that? By becoming the people that God created us to be. By being thankful in all circumstances. By growing in our relationship with God. So those are some of the commands. But So let's look at some of the promises that God gives us. But before, uh, before we do that, I want to go back to Exodus real quick. I want to go back to the first time that we see the will of God in print. Right, Second book of the Bible. This is um, Moses talking with his father-in-law, um, Jethro, who was talking to Moses about Moses being overworked. And he said, he said why are you doing all this uh, for all these people? And Moses said, because the people come to me to seek God's will. And then, now, Moses isn't just shooting from the hip here, right? Moses gives his credibility statement for not only for him, but for us when it comes to knowing God's will. Look at this. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties, and I do what? I inform them of God's decrees and instructions. How do we know God's will? Because he gives it to us in his decrees and his instructions. How does Moses discern the will of God? Through decrees and instructions. How do we do it? The same way. Now about that will of God as it pertains to the promises from God. The will of God as it pertains to the promises of God. And I want to point out to you again that God says very clearly, my thoughts are not your thoughts. We don't think the same way. If you were maybe being a little more honest, I don't want to add any words to it, but God might be thinking, you're thinking too small. When you think about the will of God, you're thinking too small. You're not thinking big picture like God is thinking big picture. This is what God thinks about. This is his promises about the will of God. Look at this, 1 John. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. What's, God, what's the will of God? Your sanctification. What's the will of God for all to come to the knowledge of the truth? Jesus said, he who does my will he is my brother. I'm going to get to that in a second. John 6, for my Father's will, right? For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have what? What's God's will for us? Eternal life. When we talk about the will of God in our life, we say, well, I wonder what God's will is for me to do uh, for this job. Or I wonder uh, what God's will is which car I should buy. Or, or where I should live, or who I should marry, or where, my, where I should go to college. God says, you know what, you're thinking so small. What I really want you to do is to look on me and believe in me so that we can have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day, Jesus says. And then Jesus says some absolutely remarkable words that we probably just gloss over. I've read them twice already this morning. I'm going to put a point on him now to tell you what Jesus is saying here in Mark 3, 
35, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Look where he's putting you, right? Jesus is calling us joint heirs with him when we do God's will. What's God's will, right? Whoever does God's will is to live forever, to look upon the Son so that we can have eternal life in him. Whoever does God's will is my brother, is, has that is, is joint heirs, position to inherit the kingdom of God. And God, through the Holy Spirit, you still with me? God, through the Holy Spirit, is equipping you. He's preparing you. He's sanctifying you. Empowering you to glorify God in his kingdom. God's doing all of that for us. And he's saying, get on board and let's go. Stop worrying about that small stuff. Stop worrying about those scraps that you're worrying about eating and picking up and fighting over like seagulls. He said, come on with me. I've got bigger and better things planned for you. Plans for you to prosper. Not for destruction. That's the will of God in your life. To be with him forever. Talked about revelation. That's why God created the heavens and the earth. That's why God created you to have a relationship with him, to be with him forever. And he equips us to do that. I want to end this a little bit differently. Would you guys please stand with me? This is Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything for good, for doing his will. May he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's continue to worship as we...